This is Heart of the Enneagram with Sandra Smith and Chris Copeland. Join us as we explore the depth and complexity of the Enneagram system. Stick with that vision of the better world that you can see, um, even if nobody around you really can see it. Because um, that is that can be a compass if you can learn how to hold it lightly enough and be okay with how it's it's not actually here yet. In fact, you know it never will be. Not, no project you ever do will actually live up to what you thought it should. Chris, hi. It's good to be with you again. Uh, you too, Sandra, for season six of Heart of the Enneagram. And it's really uh, wonderful this season. We're focusing on uh, the nine Enneagram types as leaders. And so it's fascinating because in the world, the use of the Enneagram in leadership training is um, growing. It's on the rise. And so we wanted to spend some time in these episodes to consider best practices for using and engaging the Enneagram in leadership. And to help us explore Enneagram types and leadership, we welcome to this episode, Elizabeth Sowen and Drew Jones. Beth is co-founder and co-director of Climate Interactive on solutions that address climate change while also improving health, well-being, equity, and economic vitality. And she is the originator of the term multi-solving to describe such win-win-win solutions. Beth writes and speaks about multi-solving climate change and leadership based on systems thinking to local, national, and international audiences. Her work has been published in Nonprofit Quarterly, the Sanford Social Innovation Review, U.S. News, The Daily Climate, Systems Dynamics Review, and more. She has trained and mentored global sustainability leaders in the Donella Meadows Fellows Program and provided systems thinking training to both Ashoka and Dalai Lama Fellows. A biologist with a PhD from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Beth trained in systems dynamics and sustainability with Danella Meadows and worked at Sustainability Institute, the research institute founded by Meadows, for 13 years. Welcome, Beth. Thanks, Sandra. Glad, glad to be here. And we also have Drew Jones, and actually Drew is, uh, this is an encore appearance for Drew on our podcast. You may remember hearing him uh, in season one, actually, the very first episode where we had a guest, uh, where we had Type 3. And uh, Drew is the co-founder and co-director also of Climate Interactive, named the 2017 Best U.S. Energy and Environment Think Tank by Prospect Magazine and an expert on international climate and energy issues. Uh, Drew's quotes and data stories appear frequently in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other media. Uh, trained in system dynamics modeling at Dartmouth College and through an MS at MIT, uh, Drew has worked at Rocky Mountain Institute and served dozens of clients ranging from the CDC to Harley Davidson. Uh, he teaches systems thinking and sustainability at MIT, at Stanford, and UNC Chapel Hill's Keenan Flagler Business School. Drew lives with his family in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Welcome, Drew. Thank you, happy to be here. So I invite all of us uh, who are here on the podcast and all of our listeners just to take a moment um, to 
ground our presence. It just helps us uh, in this moment to become, have a curious mind, uh, an open heart and a grounded presence. And we'll do that just by taking a breath and being here now. Thank you, Chris. So Beth and Drew uh, were curious to hear when you were first learning the Enneagram, what, what told you, what were the clues that you led with type one, Beth, or type three, Drew? What were the big indicators? Um, well, I was really fortunate to run across the Enneagram early in life. So I was in my early 20s, as best I could remember. And I was introduced to the Enneagram um, as part of a volunteer project and my colleagues there were using the Enneagram. And so they, they um, invited me to um, the, the training that had a panel of different types. And one of my mentors was an Enneagram one and he suggested I pay special attention to that one. Um, and I remember leaving that, it was a day long and leaving with a packet about all the Enneagram types and um, reading them again on the plane home. So I wasn't sure at the end of the day. And this the Enneagram one kept kind of rising to the top, but I have to say, I wasn't that happy uh, about that fact. <laughs> I really found some of those traits disagreeable. Um, the ones about not being very aware of your anger, you know, at once rang true. And uh, I didn't, I, I wasn't too excited about looking at that side of myself. Um, one thing that I remember sticking out on the panel was many of the Enneagram ones talked about uh, a voice in their heads that was go narrating their days in terms of uh, were they doing, doing things right or not. And um, I noticed the other panels didn't necessarily talk about that voice, which up until then I just thought was a feature of um, human consciousness and learned it was a feature of only some human consciousness. <laughs> so those were some of the early uh, highlights as best I remember. Makes sense, yeah. True. Yeah, I I remember learning this kind of via Beth and our conversations with our shared mentor Dana Meadows, who was mentioned in your bio, because that's how I learned about the whole field. But it wasn't until uh, working with you, Sandra, and around Enneagram and parenting, and uh, some sessions that you had led, that it really just got so clear. But it was so fast because. It was like, uh, you know, do you love your to-do lists as a three and productivity and spotlights? And I remember just something about like, it reminded me that, it reminded me of this, my sensation of if there's a spotlight on somebody, I had that thought of like, they shouldn't be there. I should be there. Like, why am I not there? I should be there. Just that thought constantly in my head. And it came up in a description you had about the loving the spotlight. And I just was like, oh shoot, that's it. Yeah. And how many times do you put the word best in your bio that you ask Chris to read yes. everybody? You know, it's just like, come on. That's great. Well, what about how um, the dynamics of the three and the one that you, and by the way, how long have y'all been working together? 23 years. We just wow. did them now. Wow. So for 23 years, so you've obviously learned a lot uh, about each other and have learned how to work well together, I, I hope, after 23 <laughs> years. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so wondering, like, you know, how does the three and the one show up, particularly in your leadership styles and, and just share some about that? What's some of the gifts of that, the challenges of that? Yeah, I'll, one thing I'll just share is, you know, so 
Climate Interactive is a mission-driven organization. We want results in the world uh, and to make the world better. So Beth's leadership as a one, like embodying this path towards mission, like so fully and everybody, all 16 of us on the team, just, you just get that. Like, what are we about? Mission. Do our leaders embody what we want to create in the world? And the way that Beth has it of, of fully embodying that in every aspect of her life, you know, with all the challenges along the way, but that just gives our team this confidence and calm about why we're here together that grounds us so well. So that's the one of the gifts that Beth brings as a, a one leader to our team that is just essential for all the results that we've brought the world in this last 23 years that, that we've been together. That integrity of type one. In, the integrity of it embodying mission and purpose. Yeah, I was thinking too about this commitment to fairness and think, you know, things being right. Part of that, you know, that that helps articulate mission as well, particularly in the work that you do around climate interactive. What would what would you add, Beth? Well, I think it's that I mean, I say this probably every week how fortunate I feel like I I am to be co-director of an organization with, you know, an Enneagram 3, but this particular Enneagram 3 also. Um uh, you know, some of the things that I think have contributed to our successes that, that Drew brings, um, I would say, you know, just energy and drive, um, a contagious enthusiasm um, for what we're doing and what we have to bring to the world, um, uh, an ability to, um, I, I think, bring our stakeholders along with confidence in what we're doing. You know, we're incredibly fortunate to have like we have some donors who have been with us for almost all of those 23 years. And I think, you know, part of it is uh, probably, you know, between the two of us, the one uh, kind of vision and mission, as we're talking about the three focus on results and articulating our results so that we, you know, we're not shy about saying when we've made a difference. Um, uh, you know, I think that all of those things contribute to, to just a healthier organization, probably than either one of us would, would um, have alone would be my mm. guess. Thank you. As you were speaking to each other's gifts, I know that ones and threes are both task oriented. Um, and when we teach the Enneagram system, often it's those two types that are thought to be the workaholics of the Enneagram. <laughs> you just stay right with it. You no. Know? <laughs> and I wonder if there have ever been times when you simply amplified each other or who pulled back or how, how do you lighten up? Yeah, we push pretty hard. Yeah. I'm thinking of, um, you know, in our field of uh, the, the world of climate policy and international climate policy um, once a year, there's a global UN climate summit and, and our team has been at many of those. Um, and so, you know, even, even more of the normal um, influences that, you know, like you've got to, drive to daycare or sweep the floor, like all that's gone. You're just in some other city in a hotel room with your colleagues for two weeks on this issue that matters more to you than anything. I mean, I think, uh, you know, hours of sleep shrink. Um, 
Drew, <laughs> Drew picks up this energy. Uh, you know, there's also 40,000 people who are potential audiences for our work. So we're prowling through the halls <laughs> of these international um, conference centers, um, drawing attention to, to our tools and how other people could make a difference with them. Um, Drew has been known to um, stand up on the shuttle bus and make an impromptu sales pitch for <laughs> some of what we have to offer. That does not surprise me what I know of Drew. <laughs> you know, something I would never have the courage or even idea to do, but also has has brought, you know, partnerships and colleagues and new thinking. So it, it, it brings things to our work. Um, but, but those are probably the peak um, uh, peak workaholic time and maybe the month leading up to it. And how we pull ourselves back from it. I just think to other people on our team whom we look to, to acknowledge that when we do have a retreat, we should have fun and the other should be a game that we all play. And they insist like, no, there will be a retreat and we will go to like the escape room here in Asheville together and do something that is not mission driven or productivity results driven, but fun. And we've had to really listen to others because I don't think it's intuitive for either of us. And like you are suggesting, Sandra, it's, it could be a blind spot that we've had to make sure doesn't stay blind. Mm -hmm. And of course it's in those play times and down times and casual times that the imagination is, um, mm -hmm. is brought back. And we get new perspectives. So if you can reframe it to see it that way, you know, you just want to make sure that gets in there. Yeah. yeah. What about, um, I mean, you named so beautifully, um, Beth, the sort of the way that that workaholic energy kind of how generative that can be. Um, where, where have y'all noticed some challenges in terms of your um, Enneagram types and how that's shown up in your, in your co-leadership? Well, one that, um, we now have language for actually thanks to some work we did with Sandra years ago now um, uh, where we noticed a pattern between the two of us, particularly in, in different moments of stress, like, you know, stress about funding or about strategic direction. Um, as an Enneagram one, um, I can now see my response to stress is often to slow things down. We got to figure out how to get it right. We can't make a mistake. Um, and, Drew's response to stress, I think he would agree, is push further, harder, and faster. Um, and so, you know, you can see the conflict inherent in that, right? We have two opposite instincts at our most stressful moments. Um, and Drew's laughing, and that's been one of the biggest cures, right, is now that we understand that's a dynamic between the two of us, we can catch it. Um, we can laugh at it. We have, a, you know, little advice we try to remember, which is, for um, me to go one or two steps further than I can see and for Drew to plan out one or two more steps than he might normally. Um, and all of those things help a lot. Wow, that's that's, amazing. that's to be marked yeah. right there for any of our listeners who happen to be in a one, three dynamic. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. That, that one is, we've used that dozens of times and it's interesting, there's the idea of it but the thing that is the biggest gift that I experience of it is the levity with which we can hold it now. We talk about laughing about it or joking. Like you bring it up and we smile. Like think about how many blind spots or, or troubled things between in a relationship 
you don't laugh. You're like, oh, this is, this is the worst thing. But we've gotten to this point, like it's happened so many times and it's so the system or this, this dynamic, we know it's the dynamic. It's not Beth and Drew, it's the dynamic. So the, the levity around it gives so much space to be creative and respond well. And such a gift, Beth, that we can yeah, just look at it lightly now. <laughs> Well, you've got the the three seven eight as assert types, the nervous system wiring, and then the one two six, which we're gonna just kind of be a little more cautious. And it's how we get our need, how we approach getting our needs met. And and there you are trying to find middle ground. And after all these years, and strategies of making this work, there it is. You can laugh. You can offer lightness. Yeah. And I think that maybe just add one more thing, like we can laugh and then work together better, but it also has been growth producing for me as an individual. Like I have Drew's example of just go for it. It usually works out. Right. And it's actually true, but for Enneagram one, I have to like consciously think about that. I don't just trust in it. Um, so there's, there's how we work together, but I think also um, after so many years of working together, uh, sometimes I, I can be like, all right, I need to channel a little bit of Drew energy here. I need to show the world that we can do it, that we're positive. I need to name our last three successes. Um, and I have a great model of how to do that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Drew, what would you say Beth named some of what she's learned from from you? I'm wondering if there's something you can think of that you've learned about your own type or working with that, working with Beth. I think there's a lesson that I've had to learn actively that I think I pick it up from Beth because I see her doing it really well. Like I say, we're both like this kind of workaholic thing, but mode that we can get in, but Beth takes the time to ask and connect on a personal level with people or in meetings and everybody we work with. And now we're 16. So there's not that, there are a lot of relationships, but I noticed Beth taking the time to know what's going on in people's lives and ask before, you know, before means whenever we have that chance or ask me and I channel that because I've learned that not everybody wants to be as efficient as I want to be necessarily. And I do care about people, but I just, I immediately go to like, let's get some stuff done. We can get a lot done here. Let's get it done versus channeling what I've witnessed Beth do with me and with others, which is to show how we care through inquiry and connecting on a personal level, just as people on a journey together. And that's one thing I've really channeled that is so useful as a three, because I so miss it sometimes. It's almost like inefficiency is more effective sometimes. What? (laughs) It's like mind blown. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) It's true, but it's still hard to like agree. (laughs) Sure. There's so much juice and efficiency, but it's really the poison for type three. Well, I think another um, advantage of all these years of working together is that we've each obviously, I hope, gotten more mature and wiser. Like we were just kind of fresh out of graduate school when we first met and started working together. Um, And a a real point of conflict between us at that point was just our, um, 
our intuition about change in the world, but but it's still there as a, a tension between us. And and now we we joke about it that my instinct is to stand up and say the deepest truth about our field, you know, where change needs to happen, even if nobody will come and listen. And Drew's mm. instinct is to make sure the auditorium is full, even if he has to say things that are you know, not the truth or not the deep, the deep <laughs> truth <laughs> to have it full. And um, obviously effectiveness is somewhere in the middle, right? That you get as close as you can to the heart of the matter, but you do it in a way that people can hear and want to engage. Um, so I think without Drew, I'd probably spend my career just like, you know, shouting to the empty room. <laughs> <laughs> And maybe he'd be speaking to fuller rooms yeah. about lighter topics or something. Yeah. 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 Like just spinning bullshit for thousands. Well, there's the good mixology. There's the good pairing of one, three. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And the beautiful thing happens when we'll be talking and then without trying, we'll naturally take the other position. So when I'll start saying, but wait, 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 that doesn't really get to the heart of what we're trying to achieve with sustainability. And then Beth will say what she just said, which is, you know, the like, oh, speaking about the truth to one, you know, that when we take the opposite, and that's when there's this unlocking of possibilities. And it's happened, you know, I can think of these like seven or eight like big times, but probably many other smaller times. It's just been beautiful when it something happens that we we trade. Does a particular time come to mind, Drew, when you said that? Beth, do you remember any specifics? We definitely laugh at it now and then. Um, you know, it'll be something like, I'll say, oh, let's just not worry about the fine point of the details here, because the big thing is the results. And Drew will be, what? What did you just say? <laughs> you sell out. <laughs> Or Drew will be like, I think we ought to slow down and really think about the implications for the human resources policies. And I'll be like, really? <laughs> well, also just within your own types um, and knowing your own growth over the years, what would you say to someone starting out who leads with type one or leads with type three? that might be helpful to them to know. Like as they are forming themselves as leaders, what kind of wisdom or thoughts might you offer to them? Beth, you got one? Yeah, a couple quickly come to mind for younger ones starting out. Uh, a big insight for me that unlocked a lot and I still really have to tune into it is um, when I feel resentful about something, it means that I have a need that I'm not meeting or not finding a way to meet. Um, and for me, I, uh, I have to also learn like what resentful feels like in my body. Uh, Cause it, it's not really a cognitive thing, but I'm like, Oh, that my shoulders are clenched. My jaw is hurting. You know what? It, it's probably different for everyone, but those are some of the indications for me. Um, you know, so I'm resentful because someone else seems to be having fun and taking things lightly. Well, maybe I need to actually back off and take something lightly. Um, so that would be that would be one. Maybe another I would lift up is um, uh, stick with that vision of 
the better world that you can see, um, even if nobody around you really can see it. Because um, that is that can be a compass if you can learn how to hold it lightly enough and be okay with how it's it's not actually here yet. In fact, you know, it never will be. Not, no project you ever do will actually live up to what you thought it should. Um, and the third one maybe is, I mean, I know there's, there's uh, the guidance for Enneagram one is like, find what's perfect or no, it's everything is already perfect. See, I can't even remember that one. <laughs> it just, we disassociate. It just, yeah, it does not stick, but what I can do maybe in another 30 years, I'll be able to do that. What I can do more and more is see in the imperfection, the things that really are beautiful. Um, mm. So like, it will never be perfect to me that there are starving children, right? But what is perfect is all the people who are working to yeah. feed starving children. Right? Beth, you've been taking pictures if, of nature in beautiful places, just beauty in the world that you seem to respect. I wonder if that is that kind of respect for it and sharing that on to the world. Yeah, no, that definitely is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just play around with my my camera and try to find one beautiful picture a day and yeah. share it with people. Yeah, I get a lot of pleasure out of that. How about for the young three leader, Drew? I would say that, you know, knowing that it's not all about you. Um, and the obvious part of that, of course, is about credit and humility and that is a lot of challenging work, but it, there's two sides to that coin of uh, blaming oneself when things go awry. Like if you, if you think it's all about you, then it, on both sides, uh, we had a, a moment where there was some staff were unhappy about something that was going on. And I quickly like played it all out. I'm like, well, I must've caused this. I need to speak to everybody individually about this matter and let them tell me how I caused this problem and therefore how we're going to resolve it individually. 16 conversations. Let's get the schedule. And Beth very gently helped me through conversation, and which basically came to that same conclusion that I've said a million times. It's not all about me, whether it's the credit or in this case, like, wait, that's why would this all be all about me? Uh, so watch for that on both sides, uh, oh, young three, because it, it just can be unhelpful, whether it's the good or bad that you're taking credit for. Mm. It's that way that threes uh, create themselves as a separate doer, mm. doer that can wreak havoc in the internal life. Mm but to know that we're in it together. Um, there's just more hope in that. Mm. Yeah, thank you, Drew. Yeah, I was also thinking about how the success and the failure are not just about me. Like it's part of a larger work. You know, we're all, we all share in the success and we all share in the, in the I know failure is not a fun word for a three, but you know, when things don't go as well, it's, it's shared, you know, yeah. And my value doesn't my value doesn't rise on the success, and my value doesn't get lost in the failure. Exactly. Another big lesson I would say to young threes is just the interrogating and, and looking to feelings. Like feelings can feel for a three just so distant. You have no idea what's actually going on internally and in experiencing the world. And the moments when it gets clear can be moments of power. 
someone who actually can be transparent about the grief that I experienced that we're not headed where I really want us to be headed can be transformational moments for, for everybody when it, when it finally can happen. But it's infrequent and such work to get there, to be able to be open to my real experience of what's going on versus what I want you to see me experiencing mm -hmm. because I want you to think I'm the greatest guy ever. Mm -hmm. You know, as co-leaders, how do you work with each other with these core avoidances? You know, Drew's core avoidance of, of uh, oh, I don't want to fail, and Beth's, I don't want to be wrong. Um, how do you how do you walk that path, that line, when when Beth, you know, you see that Drew's going down the wrong path, or it's going to fail, or something has to change, or or the same with Beth, Drew, is there, have there been times when you've got to approach cautiously knowing the triggers of the types? How do you do that? And it may be that each of you have done a lot of personal work that those triggers aren't hair trigger anymore. It's gotten so, so much better for us, Beth. I remember earlier, early on the stress of there was a typo in an editorial you had written in 98, 99. And I'm just like, she wants to know this. She wants to make her thing better, but there's no way I'm going to call Beth and tell her about the typo. I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> you can't pay me enough to have the courage in 1998 <laughs> to tell Beth about the typo. And now it's so, it just, as I said, there's so much more air and light in our conversations. I can say about more about how I think we're doing it, but and the short version is slowing down our conversations with each other. In this case, we've actually hired someone. We're in the middle of strategic planning and we hired a facilitator who's lovely and helping us at the right pace, talk deeply about things. So I find that very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, Beth, what's your experience of, of, of this? Yeah, I think um, one general theme I would offer is uh, to the extent that Drew is open about his own journey and self-discovery and he tells me things about that, it, it, it helps me understand him. And it also gives me like a shorthand and some sort of permission. Um, so like one thing you talk about, Drew, is the rose-colored glasses, how hard it is for you to see you know, the things that might not be. And so now I can, if I, if I think that's going on, yeah. you, you said, I can talk about the rose colored glasses and you're like, Oh yeah, the yeah. rose colored glasses. Right. And um, <laughs> so, so that's one. And the other that um, yeah, I, I wish I could think of a specific example, but um, I think it's to understand like Drew's core drive for efficiency and productivity and how in the long term, actually, the most efficient, productive thing is to take this one hour deep conversation about feelings with the team or, you know, the thing that doesn't seem like it's on the path on his path and not try to bully him into it, but to help him see how actually it really is meeting that interest. And hopefully that feels honest and not manipulative. <laughs> <but> <laughs> I noticed that reframing you've been doing the last seven years. And it's great because earlier 
Sandra, you were saying, you know, inefficiency can be the best thing that's needed. It's the same thing. And I was like, what? Like, those were words I'm not used to. But Beth, you, you've been able to help me see the efficiency of those boring, ridiculous feelings, conversations that we have to do sometimes. I'm joking, but yeah, it, it works. You're right. And I love that the physical embodiment of it, like the rose colored glasses, like a, a, an image, like I can see it. I have an image of, of in my, and it's a shorthand for us, but we know what we're talking about. And Beth, you've shared with me other ones that we come back to about a, like a tunnel and at the end is where you want to go. And there's something coming to you from the sides. I remember you sharing metaphors that were meaningful to you that you seem open to me referring to about the distractions on the way to your purpose, for example. Physical metaphors in conversation where we're open to it have really helped. And I think it, it wouldn't work without the end of the day. I think we just have so much respect for each other and appreciation for each other. Um, and so in the moment, I might be pretty irritated that Drew's like, Beth, I think that might be one of those distracting doors rather than your core purpose. I'm like, I don't want to hear that. Um, but I know that he he really is invested in my success and impact in the world. And that's why he's mm -hmm. saying whatever he's saying. Yeah, I also appreciate um, the what I hear in that as some permission giving that you offer each other when you offer that metaphor for the other to then say, you know, maybe this is rose-colored glasses or maybe this is the tunnel where you can really name that in a way that the other can hear. I'm hearing a lot of trust between the two of you, which has probably grown over the years because of your personal work and your work together and the passion you have um, in the work with climate. Yeah. And I think um, like uh, trustworthiness, right? That when I've put myself in a vulnerable stance with Drew, it's never been abused or, um, you know, taken advantage of or used against me in some way. Um, and when I've asked, you know, for a, a change, like, could you do this differently? Because it's having this impact. Um, you know, he's, he's met that. And in my experience, that's rare in this world, you know. Um, and what's also rare is to be vulnerable like that. Because if we're not vulnerable, we can't build trust. We don't know we can trust the other until they have we have offered our own vulnerability. And, mm -hmm. and this is yeah. coming from an eight who knows something about that. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. <laughs> that one's counterintuitive to me, Sandra, that say it again, because I haven't caught that yet. That's good. It's the vulnerability that allows that to happen. Right. So when you're vulnerable with Beth and she holds space for that and honors you, you know that you can trust her. If we're never vulnerable with, with each other, I don't know how trust grows. And I think that's a real piece of um, effective leadership. And I think Peter Senge, your, your mentor, says, you know, a, a real leader shows a full range of emotion. And transparency is so important. And we can't be transparent without being vulnerable. And you, <laughs> you two just model that to me as you're talking about and with each other. You're just modeling that. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
A question comes for me is, um, as you've worked together these 23 years and as you've grown and knowing about yourself and knowing about each other, what's something that you're really proud of that you've, that you've experienced or that you've, I'm hesitant to say accomplished because that may not be the right word, but, but mm. something that you're really proud of in your work. Help me out here, Beth. What, what do you got? I'm. Yeah. I mean, it would be like, we're both pretty practiced at reeling off the accomplishments of our fantastic organization. Um, you know, what comes to mind for me though, isn't that exactly as much as that, so, so Drew and I had a shared mentor and you mentioned her name in, in the introduction. Her name was Danella Meadows and she was a, a founder and thought leader in, in our field of systems analysis. Um, but she was also a person with big uh, heart and vision and values. She was Enneagram One, by the way. Um, so she was this, to me, um, kind of representation of the marriage of uh, really strong analytic powers with really big heart and feeling. And um, I haven't known too many people in my life with that kind of integration. And imperfect as it is and finding its way and well, how's that for Enneagram One qualifications? I think Climate Interactive at its best embodies that of the um, really rigorous analysis um, with just this dedication to this to the future and to the well-being of of everyone, um, and and maybe like a microcosm that captures that is, uh, we had a big uh, release of a new version of one of our tools last week, and Drew was leading the webinar about it, and um, he went down some pretty deep mathematical data holes, and then there was a little bit of. Um, good news for the climate and some of what that math was all about. And he asked all the hundreds of people on the webinar to take a minute to feel gratitude about that good news and to call out who they wanted to celebrate as being part of that good news. Um, and people on the webinars, you know, some of them were later on Twitter, they were like, I like that kind of organization, right? Like solid on the numbers and yet with a heart. Um, Thank you, Beth. Yeah. So I think that's what I'm proudest of about us. There's a lot. I don't know. There's a lot. It's tough to, <laughs> that's such a, a beautiful answer. Uh, I would say one other, other thing that I'm really proud of that we've been able to make happen is uh, cultivating the ability of people to deliver on their purpose through our work. And it starts some with just our team and our colleagues, you know, we're this team of 16, but there's another 15 or so people whom we work very closely with who have gotten into this field of system dynamics modeling, many of them because they read a book in 1971 written by the same woman that you just heard about, Danella Meadows, to use this for purpose, to make a better world. But most of the work out there in our field of that modeling is expanding market share for toothpaste and things like that. And it has been incredibly meaningful. And I think just very proud of harnessing the, the incredible spirit and brilliance of this, this intellectual community towards something that really matters. And having those moments when we're able to say, you know, to 
Jack and Lori and Florian and Eduardo, all these people around the whole world. I've just mentioned people in Germany and Argentina who want to work on this and we're able to create this structure and organization and give these tools away and hundreds and thousands of people around the world doing the same. It's just exciting to have, to be able to be helping people directing themselves to what they get out of bed so excited to work on every day. That just, I'm so proud of our ability to do that more and more and do it well. There's a part of me after listening to the yeah. two of you that just wants to stand up and cheer. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should do it. I think we should just. <laughs> <laughs> Say amen, somebody. Say amen, somebody. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I say that I feel that. So this is Sandra's response is like, stand up and cheer. Mine is like, my heart is so full. <laughs> As a four, you know, I'm just like, my heart is so full hearing you. <laughs> it's true though. It's very yeah. true. Well, is there anything else because you've worked with the Enneagram for so long and you've been in leadership for 23 years together, anything that you want to offer that we haven't asked that could be helpful? I'm looking, actually, I have a, another question of some, some get some reciprocity here, Chris and Sandra. <laughs> a little transactional deal here. So what counsel would you two have for the continued spiritual and leadership growth of a one and a three working together? I mean, some of the stories so far has been, oh, aren't these two great? They get along so well. They had these problems 20 years ago, but now it's smooth sailing we could keep going and it ain't because we have a huge mission and big challenges. You've heard how far we've gotten as a one in a three, I'd ask each of you, what would be your counsel of blind spots that you would encourage us to think about moving forward as a one in a three and all of our listeners here today as they move forward. I mean, you've, you've actually named a number of them. Um, so I, I'm going to echo two that come to my mind. One is um, the, the tendency to, to focus on the doing, right? That's the default. And so what can interrupt or help you pay attention to that pattern um, and shift that? And, and some of it might be slowing down, but I think even more uh, and you, again, you've named this is the playfulness and actually you embody this, like the way you interact with each other, but like the more the one can be, get into some of that playfulness, uh, you know, this, there's a freedom there, there's a creativity there. And, and, and Drew, you may have more access to the playfulness, but sometimes it can be hard to stay there because of the focus on the accomplishment or the doing. So, so the, the being able to be a little silly, to be playful, to delight in one another you know, that, that feels like a, a, a beautiful part of what growth might look like for the relationship. That's what comes to my mind. The one word that comes to my mind and heart is celebration. Neither three nor one are, are known for being celebratory very long. <laughs> <laughs> for three and, both, and one, you're just on to the next thing to do. And while you may be good at promoting your organization and the things that you've done, you know, to gather your climate interactive tribe and name those and celebrate yourselves. Mm -hmm. Take the time to pause because celebration reminds us that the journey is one of joy.
<laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for turning the table on us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a delight being with you. Thank you both. It's good to see you both. And I'm just so grateful for your amazing work in our, in our globe, yeah. around the globe. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Beth and Drew, very, very much. So with heartfelt gratitude, I'm Sandra. And I'm Chris. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including the Program for Leadership and Character at Wake Forest University for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris, who created our theme music, and for Logan Greenhall, who provided website support. And great gratitude to Eric Merle for his quality editing expertise. Special thanks to the Narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And of course, thanks to all of our guests. For more information about this podcast and how to get a copy of our book that serves as a companion for deepening personal and spiritual growth, visit heartoftheenneagram.com. And be sure to click the subscribe link so you don't miss an episode. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.